CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasova, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news newspaper since 1971. Bonus time on the Ben Jurassic Show. As I speak, it is, what is today? Oh my, I keep forgetting. It's Friday, March 31st, the last day of March, just five days out uh, before the mayoral election. Now here's a headline. I want to shout out to Frank. He texted this me, listener Frank. Uh, Here's a text, so it's not a headline headline uh, from the Sun-Times or the Tribune or the uh, New York Times or what have you. Uh, it's a, uh, a tweet, excuse me, a tweet from Jane Fonda. Every city deserves a leader like Brandon for Chicago to ensure clean water and breathable air in every community. Please join me and Jane Climate Pack in supporting Commissioner Brandon Johnson for mayor in Chicago's April 4th runoff. And... Uh, <laughs> not quite sure what to say about Jane Fonda jumping into the uh, Chicago mayoral election. Uh, I know that for um, uh, baby boomers, uh, let's just say it, old white men, they they hate Jane Fonda. So, uh, you know, well, of course, they were already lined up for Paul Vallis anyway. Uh, and their, their hatred for Jane Fonda has to do with the fact of uh, extreme anti-war uh, positions she took in the 70s, going so far as to visit Hanoi. Uh, while the United States was dropping bombs uh, on Vietnam, we were very much engaged uh, in the war in Vietnam, and so it was, she was viewed as giving comfort to the enemy, uh, and it was a, considered a treasonous act. I find that very interesting. Uh, it's okay. It's bad when she commits treason, but when Richard Nixon is cutting deals with Vietnamese leaders to sabotage uh, Hubert Humphrey's presidential campaign, that's just smart politics, huh? When Ronald Reagan's uh, sidekicks are cutting deal with Iran who are holding Americans hostage so they can undercut Jimmy Carter, that's just smart politics, right? Is that the game? But it's treasonous if Jane Fonda uh, it takes a uh, hard stance against the United States. We have a, we live in a curious country, ladies and gentlemen. I'm never sure if anybody has a principle that they believe in. It's just all political rhetoric half the time. Uh, and um, so anyway, that's my views on it. All right, without further ado, I'm going to ask my distinguished guest to introduce herself. We've got a lot to talk about. Distinguished guest, introduce yourself. I'm Ramana Hussein. I'm a member of the editorial board at the Sun-Times and a columnist at the Sun-Times. Yes, and a dear friend of this show uh, and a regular guest on the show. All right, Ramana, uh, we're going to start with a topic uh, that you put into my brain, uh, the conversation we had uh, this week, earlier this week. Uh, so let's uh, begin with a, a little preparation. Uh, Alderman Tom Tunney, Who's the alderman of the 44th Ward on the near, on the north side of Chicago, Lakeview area, affluent area uh, on the lakefront? Um, said something uh, in an interview uh, with Fran Spielman of the Chicago Sun Times that I found just astounding on many levels. Uh, either it was racist, stupid, uh, arrogant, 
idiotic or all of the above. Uh, he was, uh, I'm paraphrasing, uh, he said in his humble opinion that the reason Lori Lightfoot lost is that she was spending too much time caring and too much money and too much resources on the West and the South sides and was neglecting the North side and the loop. Uh, and I found that so preposterous. Uh, just if you even just take a look at how much money is spent on the North side and the loop, as opposed to the West and the South side, you can immediately see that, uh, he's, it's absolute fiction. But if you just drive through poor neighborhoods in the West and the South side and drive through affluent areas on the North side and the loop, uh, you could see for yourself and every Chicagoan knows what he said is preposterous. And yet it was not widely condemned until shout out Lee Bay editorial writer. I guess I'm not, no, I don't know if I'm supposed to know who writes the editorials for the sun times they are unsigned, but Romana let the, uh, the, let me know who it was. Just a mighty shout out. Uh, he denounced those remarks and, uh, it was a strong editorial. So shout out to Lee Bay, uh, for writing that and shout out to the sun times for running it. Uh, and then you said something to me. We're talking about it. You go, they'll denounce in this town socialists as unacceptable, but they look the other way or put up with racism. And you were talking about Tom Tunney's remarks. And I go, that is, wow. <laughs> Why don't you just uh, take a deep dive on that? Which, what were you getting at when you told me that? Well, first of all, I have to say that um, I cannot go, I cannot say who I'm voting for one way or the other. I, as, as a member of sometimes editorial board, we're now a nonprofit because we've been bought by WBZ. So I can say that I can't speak in favor of one um, mayoral candidate over the other. That's just the way it is. And the other thing I was going to tell you is I think we can pretty much, uh, talk about um, who wrote the editorial because I was on BZ earlier this week on reset. And I was talking about the police editorial, the police reform editorial that I wrote earlier in the week or appeared over the weekend. So I think we're okay with that. And um, also wanted to let you know that you tend to like Lee Bay's editorial. So you do like his writing and I will let him know that. And he's a great writer and he's a longtime Southsider. I believe he was born and raised on the South side and he's always an advocate for talking about, um, you know, he's an architecture critic as well. And he's an expert on, you know, all these buildings that have been overlooked on the South side. So this is a, something that is really close and near and dear to him. And I'm a North sider and I grew up in the Northern suburbs. So I'm someone who, you know, learned about, you know, even though I was living not too far from the South side, um, as, you know, as a child and as a teenager, young adult, um, you realize when you get older that there's so much that's part of Chicago that doesn't get talked about um, and it's been neglected. So when I saw that comment about Tom Tunney, I have to tell you that I didn't even know about that. That's how, like, you know, I, I probably saw it in the paper and just like, you know, I saw the article in the paper, but didn't the headline didn't. I don't know if the headline talked about that, but. Um, Tom Tom Tunney was talking about why Lori Lightfoot lost the elections. And he was saying that, you know, she invested too much in the South and West sides over, you know, downtown and the North side, which I think is ridiculous for anybody who lives on the North side. You know, even if you never have been on the South side, it just, just, just the amount of attention that the North side and downtown area gets over other parts of the city. You can't deny it. It doesn't matter which way you lean politically. But one of the things that kind of just struck me about the election, just thinking about this, is when people talk about um, this elections, um, I've been hearing over and over again, there's this fear that they don't want um, City Hall to become a hotbed of socialism. They don't want it to be taken over by socialists. And I, I, I believe this is speaking to the mayoral candidate, Brandon Johnson, um, because, uh, you know, because of his viewpoints and uh, you know, a lot of people, there are a lot of, there are a lot of, there's a handful of progressive city council members now. And that probably wasn't the case a couple of years ago, at least from what I remember, or at least there's a lot, not that there's tons, but there's a lot more independent minded thinking city council members than they were before. And, you know, everybody's a socialist. That's what 
people tend to group a lot of progressives in, in they put them in that category and some and some are socialists and so um i just find it interesting that meanwhile paul vallis um you know he's he shows up at uh, awake illinois events um i, I think that might have happened before he said he was running for mayor um he has uh, showed up on right-wing talk shows um radio radio shows He's um, also um, has made several comments about or at least to at least one comment that I know of about critical race theory. And that might have been before he announced that he was going to be running for mayor. And um, if anybody pays attention to the kind of comments he's making, it's definitely shows that he's throwing a bone to the MAGA crowd. And for some people, I, I just think it's interesting that there's all this like, you know, everybody's in an uproar about, you know, socialism. But when it comes to certain dog whistles, people are pretty quiet about it, or they're willing to turn the other way. Or people say things like, well, that's just politics, and he's playing politics, and he's trying to cater to a certain certain group. I personally think that um, there are double standards in politics. Um, I think if he um, was someone that was a person of color and had a certain viewpoint about um, white America or cozied up to certain individuals that white America was afraid of, that would not be tolerated. I mean, we saw, and I, I, I know I bring up Barack Obama over and over again, but we saw Barack Obama, he had to distance himself from Reverend Wright and other individuals because, you know, they were considered too radical or, you know, they would hurt his chances of um, becoming president. And I don't think a white candidate ever has to do that. In fact, um, people look the other way when, you know, there's a white candidate that became president of the United States who had these sort of viewpoints. And I'm not putting Paul Vallis in the same category as Donald Trump. I'm just saying that I think it's quite interesting that everybody, um, it's very American to get paranoid about socialists. But everybody can be pretty calm when it comes to um, racism and or just racist dog whistles. So that was just something that I, I kind of just thought about. And um, I'm not saying I'm voting for I'm not saying I'm not disclosing which candidate I'm voting for one way or the other. But it's just something that I just find interesting. Um, and, and I think this is the theme that not just with this mayoral election, but with elections in this country overall. Um, there's just certain things that if you look a certain way and you make certain comments or rub elbows with certain people, it's, it's okay because it's just accepted. And, you know, and, and there are people of color who end up supporting these candidates, but I think if it's the other way around, they always say, oh, that person can't be electable. Did you see what so-and-so said, you know? And so I just think there's certain things that, it's very American, very apple. I guess racism is as American as apple pie. So to kind of have or kind of align yourself with certain elements of this country, it's not looked as um, as controversial as, as as it would if a black person or a person who was Latino or someone that looked like me cozied up to certain elements from the groups that they belong to. That's just the way I see it. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. And there's just so much, uh, I don't know what the correct word to say, but I would just say um, there is so much prejudice embedded in the comments that Tunney made uh, regarding the West and South sides being favored over the North side in the loop. I mean, it's not only a preposterous statement, that's not supported in any way, totally fictitious statement. Uh, but there's like this attitude. There's an attitude uh, that's embedded in there that really reveals a lot about uh, how Tom Tunney looks at the world. And, you know, he's a very popular alderman uh, on the North side. I, it makes me wonder about what people in his ward are thinking. Like somehow or others, they're the victims and these other people are taking something from them. And uh, it, it defies the entire history of the city of Chicago. Uh, and you're right. He's, with the exception of Lee Bay, almost no condemnation 
but you are absolutely correct. If, uh, if, if, Brandon Johnson's one of his supporters said anything remotely uh, like a put down of the north side. There would be all over the and Brandon Johnson would be asked about it and you know comment on it and disassociate himself from it. You're right. There is a double standard uh, at at play here. Um, and just to use your analogy, uh, which I was smiling when you said it. So Arne Duncan says he's going to vote for uh, Paul Vallis uh, on the base. He wrote this editorial that ran in the Chicago Tribune, although just between you and me, ladies and gentlemen, I think Peter Cunningham probably wrote it. Anyway, that's just me speaking. Uh, <laughs> sorry, PC. The secret is out. Uh, you see, Arne Duncan writes his editorial in the Chicago Tribune justifying his vote for Vallis uh, because he likes the fact that Vallis has a connection to the Fraternal Order Police. So he thinks that'll... Uh, you know, that Bat Vallis can persuade them uh, to accept police reforms. It's a good idea to have that connection. I'm like, I don't see anybody ever making that argument on behalf of Barack Obama with Jeremiah Wright in 2000. I don't recall Arnie Duncan or anybody saying in 2008, you know, it's good that Barack Obama has a connection to a, a lefty like Jeremiah Wright because it shows what? That he talks to the left. You know what I'm saying? And uh, that he talks to black nationalists. You're absolutely correct, Ramada. I, I I cannot recall anybody praising Barack Obama for his ties to Jeremiah Wright. Yeah, exactly. And 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 for example, like if I was um, if I was running for office and uh, I suddenly was friends with uh, a, an organization that you know, God, even like being part of a mosque, I'm sure people would be like, oh my God, this is like disqualifying her from running for office or if i was if i was friendly with a group of people who are palestinian activists that would probably disqualify me too and i just think it's interesting that people tend people are okay with turning the other cheek and this is people i don't know if it's turning the other cheek but just looking the other way and this is what i as a person of color and as someone who's from a marginalized group of you know religious minority it's something that i see that is not is a total double standard and people of all different races are willing to accept it when it's coming from certain individuals i.e. a white person and it's it's just it's just very interesting to me and and i just find it um you know I, and all, all sorts of people who you know claim to be like you know liberals or left i shouldn't say I said liberals, I guess I should say that's a correct term that you think I should use. They, they're willing to overlook that, um, overlook those kind of, you know, alliances that a lot of people might find offensive, but they're over, they're able to overlook it. And we've seen it with all different politicians. I mean, all sorts of people are endorsing Paul Vallis at this point, um, people from all, you know, all communities. So it'll be interesting to see what will happen. I just find it interesting just as an observer and as someone um, who know who is part of a group that I know would be used, held to a different standard if I ran for office to see, it'll be interesting to see what is going to play out. And it's just, it's just been interesting to me as an American, as a, as an American who's from marginalized groups and who observes these things and the way Americans feel and what scares Americans, it's just interesting to me. Um, I'm sure if Brendan Johnson said, you know, he hung out with Louis Farrakhan one weekend, it would be over for him. Yeah, can't imagine uh, Brendan Johnson saying anything remotely like that. All right, uh, now uh, it's a perfect uh, transition uh, into... Uh, <laughs> Donald Trump's indictment, and here's the headline. I, I don't know if you, uh, I know you write for the Sun-Times. I, you know, I don't know if you actually see the newspaper. There is the headline in today's Sun-Times, which I think I'll keep around for a while. Uh, Trump indicted. Uh, and there's also the head, oh, the New York Times. You got to see the New York Times headline. Hold on. I know none of my listeners can see this. They're like, why are you bothering showing Romana? Uh, but I just, the impact of these headlines is so profound. How about this one, Romana? Uh, here you go in the New York Times. Uh, Trump indicted the first ex president to face criminal charges. Uh, and along the, uh, the lines of what you've been saying, double standards, 
uh, is the Republican response. And here's the president, <laughs> the president of the United States, uh, who uh, had his lawyer make hush money payments to uh, Stormy Daniels, the porn star, so she wouldn't go public with the allegations, with her tale of the one night affair they had back in 2006, uh, a night of one night affair that she has described, quote, as the worst 90 seconds of my life. That's Stormy Daniels' uh, take on the uh, her affair with Donald Trump, just saying. Uh, and uh, Republicans are outraged, outraged, I tell you, uh, that Donald Trump will be indicted uh, for uh, paying, uh, authorizing the payment of hush money uh, by a lawyer who's already spent 13 months in prison, by the way, for that crime. Um, your general thoughts on the double standards of Republicans when it comes uh, to being tough on law and order. Go ahead, Romana. Yeah, it's it's just insane. I mean, well, because Donald Trump stands for certain things, a lot of these Republicans that wouldn't be able to tolerate this sort of behavior, if a Democrat did it, it's like they're coming, you know, they're acting like this is like he's some sort, you know, honestly, a lot of Republicans do treat him like he's Jesus. And it's 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 really ridiculous. And he has no he doesn't have the qualities of Jesus. And, and the funny thing is, a lot of these Republicans say that they're, you know, good Christians and you're and and and, and I'm not even a Christian. And I definitely someone who's Muslim, we we um, after Prophet Muhammad, it's we we were you know the highest prophet or like you know the one most con, you know prophet that every Muslims respect is Jesus. I know a lot of Christians who are really you know hardcore Republicans don't know that, but um, it's like from what I know about Jesus, he is nothing. He's nothing like Donald Trump. And and the funny thing is, I uh, my younger sister saw someone on Facebook who had a meme that really literally like she was a Donald Trump supporter and it was a picture of Jesus and Donald Trump next to each other. And so I, I, I just think a lot of Republicans are delusional uh, or they're just telling themselves that because Donald Trump, you know, caters to a certain group of people or he, but whenever Republicans t- bring up morals, they always say that they're, they're their party of morals and, you know, religion. It's like, what in Donald Trump do you see is so spiritual or religious. He definitely doesn't hold any of your viewpoints. And no, it's just, it's just goes along with the hypocrisy. I mean, it's nothing, it's nothing shocking that we've seen because we've seen this for the last, since 2016, since Donald Trump was elected, we've seen the double standards in play like every single day, every single day. And everything that, you know, this, this, you know, Trump is, currently being indicted, as you pointed out. I think I just saw right now, as soon as, soon as we got on, I got on with you, um, he is charged with at least one felony. We don't know details of what um, those charges are at this moment, but we know that they're tied to the hush money, um, tied to Stormy Daniels. But that's just one of the things between his personal investments and his businesses that are questionable. And let's not even bring up that, you know, his involvement in inciting people to go riot on the Capitol. So this is just one of the things one, just one. It's like, in fact, it's probably a lot of people say it's like, God, the least of like the craziest things that he's was able to get away with since he became president. And so we've been seeing this since 2016. So what we're seeing right now and the response from the Republicans it's nothing that we didn't expect. We knew this was going to happen, didn't we? We knew, you know, I get emails from Donald Trump's, uh, Donald Trump's like, you know, I don't know, whatever, bot. And it's just funny, like, he's just saying that this is like a conspiracy and like, you know, and, and, and it's just, it's just, it's just, it's comical almost about, you know, the way they come out and defend him, the way he come, comes out to defend himself. And, I, I don't know what it is with him. You know, they call him Teflon Don. It's like he's been able to get away with everything. And the only thing I can think of is the double standard and white privilege. That's the only thing I could think of. And maybe Republican privilege. I don't know, because he's a white Republican. Like, it, there's just double standards. I, I mean, you know, I don't, I don't, if he was a black Republican, I think he would be totally treated differently as well. So I, I do think it's white privilege in play. And and, and it's it's just been ridiculous. And we've been seeing this since 2016 and the things that he's just been able to get away with. And I think any if this was Barack Obama and the Capitol riots happened under his watch, 
he would already been serving a prison sentence at this point, I think. Well, I can't, again, I just cannot in a million years imagine Barack Obama. Uh, no, no. He I, I know what you're that. saying I, is I, true, but it just, it's just, Barack no, Obama he never, is. He, he never would do that. But I'm yeah. just saying, like, if, if Barack Obama had, if he was um, accused of sleeping with a porn star, and and if he had, like, three different, like, you know, wives, do you think, like, the American public would even elect him? They would, they, they, that wouldn't even happen. He has to be like this, you know, it's just like what I was talking to is a double standard. It's like people of color and, you know, especially I'm sure, um, you know, people who are black, their standards are completely different than if you are white. And so it, it, it it's like, so it's the same thing that we've been seeing. And I, I'm not saying that if someone has, you know, three with three different wives can't be president. I'm saying they can, you know, clearly, but I'm just saying if, if Barack Obama had a personal life as colorful, <laughs> if I should use the word as Donald Trump, I don't think he could become president. Well, uh, I'll push back with you a little bit, uh, and I'll put it this way. Um, Republicans will tolerate uh, obscene and obnoxious behavior from black people if those black people are paying allegiance to Donald Trump, the Republican Party. The most obvious example to me is Herschel Walker, who is the recent Senate candidate uh, in Georgia, who's background as a family man was outrageous uh, and it was widely exposed throughout the campaign and yet never did he lose any MAGA support. Uh, I think if Herschel Walker were a Democrat and were running, oh my God, (laughs) MAGA would be going nuts. Uh, So I, uh, you know, Republicans are very forgiving of black people who support the Republic, support the MAGA line. You could pretty much get away with anything uh, in that. And Ramana, if you went MAGA, you would make a fortune. Oh, I know. If tomorrow oh, oh, Ramana totally. said, you know what? I'm going MAGA and I'm going to support Trump. Then they would give you TV shows. <laughs> I'd be a millionaire by now. I'd be a millionaire yes. by now. No, I know. I know. That's what I'm saying. It's a big business. If you're a person of color or someone from our, you know, marginalized group. Um, oh yeah. Like Muslims who, you know, we call them sellouts. I mean, they've made fortune because, you know, they get put on a pedestal. I mean, you look at, I mean, Dinesh Souza isn't uh, Muslim, but he, you know, he's South Asian and God, that guy after nine 11, he became like a superstar. Because here's this brown man saying what a lot of, you know, the American public is thinking and saying, and, and he just made a fortune. And, you know, and, and uh, there were, there were um, a lot of um, people from my community, meaning the Muslim American community, who um, were saying things that, you know, a lot of white Americans were thinking, and they became big stars. They got book deals, and, uh, you know, they were, they're, they're still asked to be on Fox News um, because there are Muslims who are saying what um, they're kind of self-hating Muslims who are saying what a lot of right-wing um, Americans want or think, and, th- and they feel a lot better when they're hearing it from a person from that community. It just, it just totally gives them a hard on. Sorry, got to say that. So, it's <laughs> <laughs> ah, a podcast. You could pretty much say anything on a podcast. Yeah, I try. I try to keep uh, it clean. Sorry, but it, they totally get a hard. I, I mean, the right wingers get a hard on on with people of color having their same viewpoints. Yeah, they prop them up. Uh, yes, I could make a fortune. Uh, and um, we're seeing that here in Chicago uh, on some level as well in the mayor's race. Uh, so what is it, in your humble opinion, when you view the uh, the love that MAGA has for Donald Trump? Why? You must have some thoughts on that. Why right. do they White love this sup- band so much? White supremacy, make America great again. That's the, they want. They want America to... They like the America to go back to a time when, um, you know, I mean, let's face it, white people are still like, it's still the norm, like, you know, white culture, white people, 
Like that is the standard. I mean, that's like things haven't changed. I mean, you if you look at the U.S. Congress, it's not like this hotbed of like, you know, people of color. It's just that our, the fabric of this country has changed. The way people are thinking has changed. And, you know, I feel like MAGA people are threatened by that. And that's who Donald Trump, you know, catered. You know, that was his whole, um, you know, campaign was focused on trying to, like, appeal to these masses who are afraid that they're losing hold of, you know, what they think is just their country. So, um, you know, and, and nobody's saying, you know, yeah, for all, and I'm, I know we're going to make fun of white people again because we're going to talk about the Gwyneth Paltrow case. But, you know, when I make fun of white people, I really, it's not like I, it's just like the first time in my life, a lot of people like who are people like me grew up in Gen X, you know, we didn't have an outlet for making fun of white people when we were younger. There's no such thing as that. And that's another thing that's, you know, scared a lot of white people is because for the first time, they're being generalized. Like white people are being generalized. People say things about white people, white food, white clothes, white looks. And, and it, 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 you know, and it's like, we've been, we get made fun of, we've been, we've kind of been made fun of since we came out of the womb in the United States. I mean, I can, I can tell you all different kinds of names I've been called. Um, and so, yeah, this is like something that we, we finally have a language, all these people, all people of color, you know, we used to say stuff about white people behind closed doors before, and now we can say it out in the open. And so, um, you know, the criticisms that we have. And so I think, I think that's threatening to a lot of white Americans too, is that a lot of people of color do have voices now where, um, you know, and I'm not saying, you know, we're all out and about and get, you know, but it's just like the voices are out there and we're able to get out there. Social media has definitely changed that. That's one of the things I say is a good thing about social media. I know when I do knock it, one of the things that's been great about social media is that um, people of color have been able to use it as a tool to get their voices out. And I think that's threatening to a lot of Americans, white Americans. They And so that's how, why Donald Trump appealed to them, because he appealed to that sense of, you know, I'm going to protect America. I'm going to keep America the way we want it. And so he spoke that language. And I think that's what's kind of um, what's kind of appealed to a lot of people. And and, and, and I, I think, you know, there's a lot of people who say that, oh, you know, I just voted for Donald Trump because, you know, he keeps his taxes low or he's a good businessman. But whenever it's like a white person, I'm like, give me a break. I think I think it's I think, you know, deep down inside, even if they are, quote unquote, not racist, subconsciously, they 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 do hold on to those views where they feel like the America that they know and love is, is changing. I, I would think uh, that anybody who says they uh, uh, favor Donald Trump on the grounds that he is a quote, good businessman is more delusional than someone who says they favor Donald Trump because he's a virtuous man. <laughs> this guy has been a disaster on the business. I know. Front. And I, that's what uh, I'm saying. I don't get, I don't get that either, but I'm just saying, you know, whenever I say like, Oh, if I if I say a Donald Trump supporter is racist, there are people who come out and start going, no, 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 not everybody. No, I know. I, like, I like him and, because of his stand on tax policy. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I, I, I'm trying to be I'm trying to be fair. I'm trying to be um, open minded. But that's what I'm just saying, that there are people who say that. So I, there's got to be something in there because I, I just don't understand how you could see him being a stronger candidate than the other choices. It's, it's just mind boggling. All right. So one of the uh, absurdities of the, um, the Republican politics uh, since Donald Trump's indictment uh, or since talk of Donald Trump's indictment is that he has soared in the polls. I don't know if you've seen this, but in, in the Republican primary polls uh, and I had a long conversation with about this with David Ferris, if folks, if you haven't heard it, uh, it's, uh, some really insight, good insights from him. Uh, last poll I saw, I don't have it in front of me, Ramon, I think Donald Trump is now favored by, to be the Republican nominee, like by about 54% of Republicans. Let's just pause and think about that. Uh, and poor Ron DeSantis, uh, governor of Florida has no idea what to do. He's trying to bask in Trump's <laughs> limelight by, bragging that he won't extradite uh trump to floor uh to new york if it comes to that and trump's like i don't 
I don't need you. I want to be. I want to go and uh, do the perp walk. Shut up, DeSantis. So he looks so puny. Uh, lost in it all is the candidacy of a someone we've talked a lot about on this show. Nikki Haley is currently running for... <laughs> I just uh, she's running for the Republican nomination. Uh, she is uh, DeSantis has, hasn't even announced yet. Haley has announced your thoughts on Nikki Haley's campaign for presidency in the wake of Donald Trump's indictment. Uh, Ramona, go uh, ahead. That, that, that might change things. But yeah, like again, like Nikki Haley is obviously trying to get the same crowd that Donald Trump is it is it has a has been attracting and one of the things that um a lot of people of color who are in the republican party don't get is that if you're going to have a donald trump and he's going to be running for president i mean they're going to pick donald trump over you it doesn't matter what you say but you know donald trump um you know with with his indictment that might change the scales a little but um, we'll see what happens. I mean, I think Nikki Haley does, hasn't gotten the traction that um, she necessarily wanted so far, so far from what I've seen. It's not like she's been making headlines every day. I mean, she's she made a couple of ridiculous comments. I forgot about um, something about Joe Biden being too old to be president. and There should be age limit or, you know, something like that. But it's like she's made a couple of comments and, uh, you know, trying to be, you know, talk about woke you know, she tried to, you know, appeal to the masses by, you know, criticizing being woke and how that was more dangerous, I think, than the pandemic itself to the country. So I, I, I still think that, you know, I don't think she gets it that if there's a Donald Trump involved in the, you know, in the process, he's going to beat you way, way much harder. He's a white man and he's saying the things that everybody wants to say. So I don't I don't. I, I, she might have a chance, I think, after, you know, this happens. But I don't know I, I, whether she has the charisma to appeal to the masses saying the same things as a brown woman. I I don't know if it would be if she would be getting the same sort of, um, I guess, the ground. You know, I don't think she would get the same amount of like cheer or like, you know, adulation as somebody like Donald Trump or someone who kind of is like Donald Trump. Trump-esque. She better watch that age limit talk because Donnie Trump is no spring chicken. And yeah, so what's good for the goose is good for the gander. If you're going to put an age limit on Joe Biden, you're going to put one on Donald Trump. MAGA's going to go nuts. I have not heard from Nikki Haley. I've not seen her comments uh, regarding Trump's uh, pending indictment. Uh, you know, I'm sure she's in the same jam as uh, uh, DeSantis is because there's one part of her instincts would be to condemn uh, such an obviously gross behavior on the part of Donald Trump. On the other hand, uh, the, if she were to do that, she would uh, lose the support of the Republican Party. <laughs> so the MAGA voters, so I, she's probably just, I don't know, hiding under a desk. All right, let's get to uh, one of the most important stories in America today. Uh, and that, of course, is Gwyneth Paltrow's uh, trial uh, in uh where was it? I thought the the skiing incident happened in Utah. Yes, in Utah, wasn't Park it? City, Park City, yeah, Utah. But yeah. Some reason the trial was in LA. I'm not sure why. Don't know. Really don't care. Uh, anyway, uh, so I I must give all credit uh, to Ramana uh, on this front. I really knew nothing about Gwyneth Paltrow. I would just bless. Blissful, happily going through life, knowing nothing about Gwyneth Paltrow. And Romana introduced me uh, to her, uh, I forget how many uh, interviews ago. And ever since then, I've become obsessively following <laughs> Not really. Uh, but this trial, or, I, it says so much about America today, uh, Romana, that so many people were following that trial. Uh, there were articles uh, in the you point us out the New Yorker did an article, the Washington Post did an article, the New York Times did an article. And whenever they do an article, they kind of like, they have to come up with an excuse for doing the article as opposed to the obvious point, which is millions and millions of Americans are utterly obsessed with this. They're going to click on this article. So if you want clicks, you got to write an article. But they don't want to come out and say that. They got to act like they're above it all. So they're like, well, you know, this is a fascinating story about America today. <laughs> I know they oh, got man, to we are so in love with celebrities. 
they have yeah, to go inte- ahead. Inte- your thoughts well the thing is the thing is they have to intellectualize it like oh you know it's because we're reacting to this and i'm like no we just want to ma- well people like me just want to make fun of Gwyneth Paltrow and <laughs> and <laughs> i'm telling you there's there's like there's like a large group of people that just make fun of her i mean and i'm i'm one of them and i follow celebrity culture i'm not going to pretend i don't so, yeah, it's totally appealing to people like me who want to make fun of Gwyneth Paltrow. And and I mean, if you saw the way she was dressed um, during the trial, I mean, at one point she had glasses that looked like um, Jeffrey Dahmer's glasses. And so people <laughs> were comparing her glasses and and, you know, people have just been making fun of her clothes because it's like she's been wearing really expensive clothes, like oversized, expensive clothes. Like you probably don't know the names of these designers, but I do. But she's. Like, I think she left with like a $5,000 parka coat one day and she was wearing like $300 shoes the other day. And so it's like, it was kind of, um, she was trying to, sh- trying to show people that she was like an everyday person by like the styles of her clothes. But if anybody knew the designers that she was wearing, she was not wearing like a $20 sweater. Like her sweater was like, um, a really expensive sweater, probably like $3,000, which is very Gwyneth Paltrow. And, and, uh, the looks that she was making in court, it's like, she kind of, she kind of knows people make fun of her. So I feel like she plays into it. And, you know, like she was on, when she was on the stand, her lawyer asked her like, you know, what, what it cost her to, you know, when she got hit on the ski slopes, um, she said something like a half a day skiing or something. And, and she countersued the the guy, this optometrist who accused her of bumping into him for a dollar in lawyer's fees and so, um, it, I don't know. It's just the ridiculousness of it all. I think uh, Americans like it. It was it was just like a crazy lawsuit where this guy's suing a celebrity for bumping into him on a beginner <laughs> on a beginner's like ski slope, you know. And it's just it was just so funny. I mean, I think most comedians like you know it's been called the whitest trial in America. And you <laughs> sent me a clip from the Daily Show. I mean, because this guy who you know claim you know he obviously wasn't hit it was like he hit Gwendolyn Paltrow that's what you know the jurors realized or ruled but he was saying that he couldn't go um enjoy wine tastings anymore and <laughs> this happened at a ski resort and like you said this involved snow so everybody's calling it the widest trial in America and then Gwyneth Paltrow I don't know if you read the New York Times but um I think her, her so her father is Jewish or at least part Jewish so like but people like say that she's like she's like the representation of a super waspy woman. Like she like she embodies that look, right? So it's just like it's like it's like it I'm just saying that it's like people love to hate on her. So that's why for me it was it was enjoyable. And I'm not saying enjoyable, like I wasn't following this gavel to gavel. So for anybody who thinks that I was was watching it, I wasn't. I was just looking at some of the things that people were tweeting and some of the memes people were coming out with. And, and, the, and I was listening to the comedians takes on uh, the trial and yeah. And it's like for anybody who's a person of color, it is like a super white trial of things they're talking about <laughs> and the activities they're talking about. I mean, I, I, I've been skiing, but only in Wilmot in Wisconsin. And I, and, and I, and, and the funniest thing is that um, I was taken skiing. I think the first time I went skiing, was like, or the first person that took my friends skiing when we, we realized that there was this place where you could go skiing was at our mosque. We had a, there was a one woman who was a white convert and she's the one that took a skiing. <laughs> it, it wasn't our brown parents taking a skiing and I don't know, I don't drink, so I'm not going to wine tasting. So like, they're all very white activities that they're talking about. Like the average person who is a person of color is going to be like, oh my God. And then Gwyneth Paltrow is seen as like this Aryan like symbol <laughs> of like, I don't know what, like, it's just like, and the things that come out of her mouth, I think it's just, I, I think we wouldn't make fun of her that much is if she was halfway, um, I guess, quote unquote, you know, wasn't saying wacky things. <laughs> and I think, I think I wouldn't be making fun of her that much, but she's just, she's just the stereotype of, uh, a privileged white woman like everything that comes out of her mouth is like what we think of white women is doing and saying and she says <laughs> it. so that's why it's 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 hilarious and so this the the trial was 
And I should, and I, you know, I have to tell you, I shouldn't make fun of white people too much because I don't know if you read my last column, but I referred to Mick as a white boy and I got like reader um, comments from it. And one, some people were so angry that I called him a white boy and I was so disrespectful to my husband. So I got to limit the white people jokes for a little bit. Um, so, Wait, I, um, no, I did not know that. Did, uh, did you respond to those uh, no, readers? I didn't. I didn't. But one one reader, I, I doubt this guy listens to your show just based on the way he was talking to me. He kept emailing me every day, like for like a week. Like, are you going to respond to me? Like, you're so disrespectful to your husband. One guy told me one guy, one guy wrote to me and he goes, you're, is, he goes, does your husband call you a dothead at home? And I was just kind of like thinking to myself, I was like, first of all, it's very offensive. Number two. It's a wrong slur for my people. You know, I'm Indian, but I'm Muslim. So I'm like, God, it's like you can't even use the right slur. But yeah, one guy was so upset. He wrote to my boss. He wrote to Jennifer Coe. Um, and uh, these two are women of color, mind you. And I was telling Mick, I was like, like they're going to have any sympathy for this guy. But, it, you know, and I, I even put a disclaimer in there. As like as as th- that I was joking, you know, because I knew people would get so upset about it, and so you know this. But then it just proved my point that there's a lot of white people who like cannot take a joke and are so sensitive to everything, but are okay with saying things about me because of one guy. Then the one guy who wrote to um, complained, and then uh, you know wrote to Lorraine and you know my boss Lorraine and our head boss. Um, like later he's like, the watchdogs should investigate you. So I guess he's throwing a dog whistle <laughs> saying that I'm a terrorist. So it's like, it's like ultimately these people had like, you know, animosity towards me because I'm, <laughs> I'm a person of color and who I am, but it, it was pretty funny. So I got, I, I, I can't make fun of, I can't say too much about what I have to have a quota next, next show. I won't make fun of white people because apparently Wait, I, the, when you said, I thought that when you said that watchdogs joke, you're talking about the, like the watchdogs column in the sun times. Is that what yeah, they meant? They, they said oh, that I okay. should be investigated. I should be I investigated. See. That's what by I thought. My, I should be Wait, investigated so was, by my column, by my, my colleagues. Yeah. Colleagues at the bright one. Wait, so what was Mick's reaction? I assume he had no Nothing. problem with I, it. I actually, I actually showed him the column before because he says that I tend to exaggerate when I talk about him in my columns <laughs> or when I talk about him to other people, and it's totally not true. In fact, I say less. I could say a lot more. I could say a lot, lot more. I'm being nice. So, um, no. So, I, I, I when I do mention him in my column, I let him see the parts where I mention him beforehand. So. Um, just so I'm not saying anything that's out of line. Or he has a pretty good offensive. sense of humor, uh, McDonkey. So. And uh, yeah, he's a pretty good. I can't imagine him being offended by being referred to. No, I told it to him before. Jokingly, you know. Yeah, yeah. I wrote, and then I don't uh, know if you saw, I wrote joking, you know, joking, joke, all jokes aside. The next paragraph was all jokes aside because I knew people would get sensitive to it. So. Yeah. I'm just no, Mick. When you're funny, not to go down the throw Mick under a bus routine, which happens almost as much in the show as Gwyneth Paltrow getting thrown under a bus. But you on Mick coming from Michigan is hilarious. Uh, and the funny thing is, is that Mick's love for Mich- Michigan is only eclipsed by my bizarre love for Evanston. My love for Evanston. <laughs> Anybody who knows me, I'm like always defending Evanston and like oh, always say, "Oh my." <laughs> I'm from I'm from the Chicago area, so I will take Evanston over Michigan in a heartbeat. I love any Evanston day. Yeah. So would Mick, by the way. Okay, all that talk about it. the cherries in Michigan are unbelievable. Oh, oh yeah, my God. The, <laughs> the grapes like he gets apples from Michigan, and I'm oh, like, grapes, they taste, my bad. They, I thought they, they were he's cherries. Like, no, no, everything. He gets produce from Michigan, oh. and I'm just like, it tastes. Oh. It tastes just the same as it was if it was from jewel that's how i that's how i see it i don't think i don't think the fruit really tastes that much different um i'm i'm a total um chicago person and um i'm i I will take illinois over michigan any day (laughs) yeah uh all right uh let's close it down i need a recommendation i need one bad my wife and i are stuck uh we started watching this tv show co-liaison it was horrible uh, and we, we abandoned it. Uh, I like Swarm. My wife doesn't like it, so we can't watch that. Uh, help us out. We need help, Romana. Uh, what should we be? What are your recommendations? What should we be watching? I think you should watch Last of Us. Um, it is an 
apocalyptic show um, involving zombies, but um, it's not, it, there's very few, you know, I, I got Mick to watch it. And I told you, I was telling you the other day is because they had Linda Ronstant or Linda Ronstant song featured in the third episode, <laughs> which has been, which is it's a critically um, acclaimed uh, episode, the episode three of the show. He, he kind of like, he was like, told me he's not really into zombie shows, but he's been watching so far. And I think he'd like it because you have daughters. There's there's a theme of fathers and daughters. And I'm only up to episode three because I'm watching with Mick, which means we're only going to watch on um, weekends. So um, hopefully we'll get halfway to the halfway point. I think you'll really like it. And I think Pam will like it, too. And you and Pam are a little more open minded when it comes to j- zombie shows, because, you know, you tra- you saw Train to Busan and have watched other ones. So I think you I think you'll like this show. It's it's really good. Pedro Pascal is the lead actor who I really like. He was in Narcos. Um, so that's something I'm watching. And I'm there's three shows that I'm watching, which all have an episode that come in um, every week. So I'm kind of watching those two weekly. Um, Yellow Jackets started again, which I think is great. Um, I know you told me that your daughters love it. And it is it is a very um, a show that a lot of women like, but I think a lot of men like it too. But it focuses on girls in high school. It kind of has, um, it has, I don't know if you ever saw that movie Alive. And what's that one book? Why am I forgetting the name of the famous book about the kids lost on the island? Oh, Lord of the Flies. Lord of the Flies. Yes, it has Lord of the Flies. It has. There's a lot of Lord of the Flies sort of Im- imagery and kind of themes. And Succession started and then uh, Ted Lasso started. So I started watching all three of those too. Hmm. I'm through with Succession. Nothing can get me to go back to Succession. Um, that's a whole other story. Uh, but... Uh, I am. I wrote down uh, The Last of Us, and the next time we talk, I will have watched at least one episode. Uh, and uh, so thank you for coming to my rescue, uh, Ramana. Appreciate it. Uh, anyway, it's a blast talking to you, as always, Ramana Hussein. You could read her columns uh, in the Chicago Sun-Times, her editorials, try to figure out which one's Ramana. I pretty much figured out whenever she writes one, because she's got little telltale signs that she throws in, little cultural references every now and then. I go, oh, that's Ramana. Uh, and uh, you could follow her. She comes on this show every other week. So uh, uh, be well, Ramana. Talk to you in a couple weeks, okay? Okay, thanks. Take care. That's great. Ramana Hussein. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. Mm-hmm.